Um, hello, hello. Uh, welcome to Film Roundtable. Today is November 17th, 2022. Um, we have a really interesting uh, conversation today, and I'll introduce everyone in a second. Um, first, though, I want to take a moment to honor all of the um, worldwide COVID deaths as of today. We're at 6 million, well, 6.61 million. And in the U.S. alone, we're at 1,007,000 which is crazy town. Um, and then we also wanna take a moment of silence to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, um, all of our First Nations brothers and sisters who have died at the hands of uh, police brutality and other senseless acts of violence. So let's just take a moment, please. Thank you all very much. Uh, so we have a really interesting talk today um, about self-distributing your films. Um, we have uh, producer Elizabeth Woodward here of You Resemble Me, which we just did a podcast with the director um, two weeks ago, I think now. So you definitely have to go back and listen to that as well to talk about that journey for, um, for her. It's a, it's a beautiful story. Um, and then we have Sean Glass, who is the executive producer on the film. And then moderating today is Kyle Greenberg, and he is the head of marketing and distribution at Utopia. So I'm going to let them take it from here. We're really happy to have them. Thank you so much for joining us. And I know that this is going to be a, a talk that a lot of our audience is going to you know, really glean a lot from. So we appreciate you sharing uh, this journey. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron, thank you and so thank much. you, Sophia. Yeah. And congratulations on your news that is not out there yet, but will yeah. be probably <laughs> with uploads. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Aaron. All right. Yeah, I'm gonna mute myself. Okay. Have fun. Thank Thanks, Aaron. And thank you, Kyle. Oh, yes. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, I guess just to hop right in, um, you know. As somebody who works in distribution and also on the fringes of self-distribution over the years, um, it always really excites me when I'm seeing a film come out and come out successfully backed with a self-distribution team and dedicated filmmakers. Um, and, you know, I think we had a conversation leading into this formal chat about how the comps, you know, the um, history of like self-distribution, um, you know, it's it's harder to find those references and it's harder to um, convince yourself as a filmmaker um, to go that route when, you know, the industry is so pointed in, in one very obvious direction, which is you've made a movie, now you need a distributor to put it out. Um, and it's always felt so archaic to me, even though I feel strongly about the distribution system, but I also feel strongly that that system doesn't make sense for everybody. Um, and, you know, I think what you've done so far with the film is incredibly impressive. And, you know, I, I you know, just 
curious to learn all about everything that's gone into it. So yeah, you know, I think just to kick it off and I know the film premiered at Venice and, you know, it's gone on to play, um, you know, dozens of festivals, win 30 plus awards. Um, you know, I'd love to hear more just about um, the timeline and trajectory of the film and, you know, what premiering at Venice um, was like and how that led into conversations about self-distribution inevitably. Um, so yeah, I, you know, let's use that as a jump off point. Yeah. I mean, I can jump in to answer part of that. So we, you know, the making of this film was a real journey over the course of seven years for Dina. And I joined her as a producer about five years ago. And so, you know, when it came to having secured this amazing premiere in Venice, it was this huge moment of celebration. And, you know, we um, had incredible sales agents who were attached to the film and that sales process just kind of didn't uh, bear fruit to the types of offers that we were hoping for. And, you know, it's a variety of factors, I think, that contributed to that. And it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it was, but it ultimately came down to a choice, which was either distribution offers that were very low MGs, not, uh, you know, a robust like distribution plan um, and marketing plan and, you know, that kind of real pitch that you kind of would expect. Yeah. yeah, from a distributor. Um, but, you know, the the stamp of industry approval of having, quote unquote, sold your film, um, which is something that I know Sean and I would both love to get into, um, or the alternate path, which, um, you know, I have a background in documentaries where, you know, there's traditional distribution, but there's also impact campaigns, which is distribution in its own right. And if you think about what distribution really means, um, that that's part of it. It's, you know, getting people to see the film and reach audiences. So that was a, a real fork in the road. And I think it took a lot of faith and, you know, Dina and I have been, we're, you know, working closely together with the film team and Sean as an executive producer, we have amazing other executive producers like Spike Lee and Spike Jones and Riz Ahmed and Alma Harrell, but Sean really joined the like day-to-day effort of this team and we just decided to yeah break it down figure out what distribution means and and make a plan uh associated to that which i'm sure we'll get into more yeah and you touched on a bit of your background elizabeth and on the documentary side where you know that speaks to a lot of my roots as well you know and working with impact campaigns and trying to take those learnings and feed it into narrative, um, you know, but Sean on your end, you know, I know a lot of your background is in music. So I'm curious, you know, to learn a bit more about that and hear how some of that thinking has also inspired the campaign. Yeah. So I came in much later than Elizabeth around, I don't know what it is almost uh, like about two years ago, year and a half, two years ago. Um, there were a few different, Dina and I had a bunch of different connections and that kind of, that was how things came together. And what I, so I, I spent, when I was younger, I was focused on film, but I was surround, I grew up around music and music was always in my background. And then in my early twenties, when I looked around at just like what was before me, I, 
knew that I could, I could get paid and I could have control of my life in music. And that was unrelated to the fact that I had, I had connect, I had more connections in music through my family, honestly, but it wasn't even what I did. I, I was DJ and there was just like, I was gigging in film and I was gigging in music at the same time. And my gigging in film was so difficult and thankless. It was like, it was impossible. Like I was doing really well in comparison to my peers, but it was, I mean, it was like $300 would take me, would be, it would be a whole project that I, I would, I would maybe pocket $300 because I reinvested versus DJing where I would go and hang out with my friends and get to play the music that I want to hear and drink for free and take home. It started at $300 and then I ended up making tons more money. So I embraced that. And the way that I looked at it was, let me go do this. Worst case scenario, this isn't a bad life. I love music. I know exactly where I'm going to take it. I'm going to go build my own events, festivals, label, whatever. And best case scenario, I'm going to learn some stuff that's going to allow me, and I'm going to do right by some people that's going to allow me to come back to film. If I, if I so choose, you know, when I'm mature and older, um, long story short, that's what happened. And in coming back, I first, my first instinct was, I just want to do art. Like, like, like that's how I thought about it. I was like, I don't care. I, I was so, I was at Apple. And I was so, I was doing, you know, original, I was head of connect and original, we were doing original content at Apple and it was so industry. And, and the way that I thought about it was I want nothing to do with the industry, any industry. I just want to make art and whatever money I make, you know, so be it. I did that for a second. <laughs> um, and I showed a film in festivals in 2020 and it was so it was like, it was like a flashback, you know, to when I was 22 and it was really, really difficult. And what I found was a lot of the, my peers, again, who were way ahead of me now, filmmakers who were way ahead of me, were just living this lifestyle of like begging for things, pitching and pitching for money, pitching for people to collaborate with, pitching for festivals to program you, pitching for distributors to not even really bring you to audiences to buy you. Again, the thread that Elizabeth and I will definitely get onto the difference between, you know, audiences and cosigns from corporations. Um, when I was young, this is something I think about all the time because I've been looking at self-distribution since I'm a kid. I'm an indie guy, grew up around indie, indie labels. And I remember Aaron Crumley and Lance Weiler talking to me about self-distribution when I was a teenager at South by Southwest and Greta Gerwig. Um, that was about box office metrics, but that was about audiences. Somewhere in that decade, Sundance, I think, you know, really John Cooper, who's, who's done an incredible job of building that up, but he built it up to be a sales market where all of a sudden the new thing was not what, how you reached audiences, but how you reached the companies and the MG became the thing. And in that transference, we lost our connections to audiences. So the filmmaker no longer communicates with audiences. All of the connections have been broken. All of the... Um... Well, I think that's the, one of the key things. And yeah, it's something I've seen from the music world is if you look at any musician, even if they have a major label, 
um, they are communicating most often directly with their audiences. And, you know, there's the brand of an artist uh, in music, um, you know, and then there's the individual albums and, you know, those speak for themselves as a brand. And, you know, I think as a filmmaker, it's really difficult these days to kind of think of yourself as a brand and think of your movie as anything other than a movie. And, you know, thinking about maybe a movie does have potential for merchandising and touring in a, in a way, you know? So like, I think, yeah, the events and music background for me, I've seen just so much crossover and it's similar to what Elizabeth was saying with, you know, the documentary world and impact campaigns. I mean, in a way it's all very similar in that, it starts with grassroots and you're thinking about how you can leverage a locale and a community and, you know, drive that into something impactful. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like we've kind of hopped around a few places already pretty early, but I wanted to get back into the acquisitions process and sales process just a little bit. Obviously like we've talked MGs a little bit and like the minimum guarantee for a film to be acquired. Um, And, you know, like in my experience in distribution, um, you know, obviously films of a certain size, a certain festival, you know, say something premieres at Sundance, as you mentioned, Sean, and it's a sales market, um, even though it's a giant festival, but you go to Sundance and the expectation is your film is gonna sell for more money. Um, You know, it's just films are, inevitably uh being bought and you know bid for more at a festival like sundance um even though venice has such prestige um unfortunately you're seeing less high profile sales come out of it these days and you're also seeing more films with distribution sometimes already going into venice um, which i think was the case this year um you know and it's kind of becoming harder and harder to find these festivals um, where you can go in and say like, we're guaranteed to sell. And, you know, and then it comes down to what does that sale actually mean? You know, it's like the only the streamers are the ones who are ever really announcing that they bought something for $14 million out of festivals these days. And you don't see the numbers that most distributors are buying or acquiring other films for. Because no idea. That's like a huge misconception. They think that there's a there's a there's a waterfall of that. It goes from 14, you know, Cooper Reef getting, you know, whatever he got, 15 million dollars. And then it's like, oh, there's a there's a 12. There's an eight. There's a no. It goes down to like 50K. Or less. And yeah, yeah. yeah. 5K or or the opposite way. Or you're paying P&A for the privilege of being distributed. Yeah. Well, I think that that's an interesting, you know, as a film maker, film producer who didn't know much about the options, you know, we spent a lot of time understanding, you know, self-distribution doesn't necessarily only need to be like, it's just the film team totally freestyling. Like there are other pathways that are really not openly discussed. And if they are like, I'm not, I wasn't privy to those conversations that I think are really interesting because it is a business model for some distribution companies of, you know, raising money from either your executive producers or a team and, you know, hiring different 
vendors and like divisions to take care of the different parts of the process. And that's something that we spent time analyzing. And, you know, on one side, we couldn't afford some of those things. And on the other side, we just felt like we could do better than the people we would potentially be hiring to do that. And that was a case for theatrical booking for, you know, other elements, but um, yeah, it's kind of breaking down what are all the different pieces of what a, what your dream distributor would be doing and like trying to emulate. And that's something, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at Utopia's Instagram and being like, okay, what are they doing? Like, where are they marketing the film and trying to take inspiration from those who we felt were doing really cool, exciting things and kind of breaking it down. Um, but yeah, you have an important piece of our, our puzzle was having executive producers who really cared about this film having a dignified release um, and, you know, saw the, also the financial possibility remaining open of recruitment if we did a self-distribution because taking one of these really low offer deals just closed that a 100%. So we don't have a guarantee that this film is going to make money, but at least that opportunity is not closed. Um, and I think this moment, added, it really could. Yeah. And we've added so much value yeah. again, you know, it, it kind of went down and now it's gone back up because we've Two had months ago, there was zero chance. And yeah. We and now we've had 70, I think it's 75 at this point screens yeah. across the country with major chains like AMC. And Delica, out, you can go with, anywhere. Yeah. Which, and which has also been really helpful in reopening the conversation it's about international distribution we I, we haven't announced it yet but we will you know we reached out with the kind of data of how many screens we've booked what audience engagement partners we've gotten you know what it's like organizations that we emailed it's not i think i i used to be very daunted by the term like audience engagement and like it just sounds like a lot of work but it's really like brainstorming a list of 25 organizations that make sense with your movie and going on their website, finding their email and writing them a note. And most of them are going to answer and co-host a screening. And then you're screening at Tuesday, you know, a Tuesday, 5 30 PM, 50 people will show up, which would never ever have happened. If you talk didn't about know. the eventizing, you know, general, like, like, like the, the, for the lens of eventizing screenings and like getting people out of the house and, you know, so yeah, that's, yeah. that's something that I definitely wanted to get into. And, you know, I think on my end, I've, you know, a big part of my background is specifically theatrical. And for the last decade or more, theatrical has been dying. And, you know, there's all of this doom and gloom um, that, you know, comes about every six months. And obviously COVID was of course, a dark patch, uh, patch. Um, but the way I see it is the market is very healthy right now. The issue that we have is, and this has been the same issue for the last decade or more, and it kind of gets into gatekeepers as well. Um, beyond the distributors, I think it's about the critics and the conversations we have about film and what independent film success is. Um, we talk about independent film only in respect to too many major distributors most often. Um, and like, of course, like all ships, you know, or like, you know, all ships, uh, what's the expression rise all together, rise with the tide, rise with the tide. Exactly. 
And, you know, when A24 or Neon succeed, we all succeed. It, you know, it, it creates a healthier marketplace for independent film. It points a path forward uh, for independent film success and taking chances on stuff that's out of the box. Um, but it also skews the perception of what independent film actually is because the reality is those movies aren't quite independent. And those movies have very big budgets in comparison to what real independents are working with. Those- Not even mentioning, you know, Focus, Searchlight, Sony. Yeah. These are and, parts you know, of major, major corporations. And yeah, you know, corporations that have backed these, you know, these, these companies, and, you know, these are companies that are long established and, you know, have easy access to the chains, you know, to the platforms, maybe they have output deals with streamers that help back their uh, ability to be aggressive around theatrical windows. Um, you know, so I think something that I've really tried to be vocal about, you know, especially at the utopia level is what we're doing can't be seen in the same respect as everybody else because we don't have the resources that everybody else has. Um, we are approaching stuff in a different way. We're not gonna be given the same opportunities that these other independents are. Um, you know, and that might mean at a very simple level, not having the major budget and how thinking about ways you can be resourceful with limited budget, which might go into the grassroots. Or it's how are we being thoughtful about our theatrical knowing we're never going to get as many screens or even as many shows as these other movies. So, you know, if there's one film that's being reported on with a major per screen average, maybe they had two auditoriums at a single theater that weekend. Um, whereas maybe there's an independent film that only had a few screenings. And I think a lot of those details are glazed over. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that all kind of goes back to like, where did you kind of orient your budget um, going it alone? Like, you know, as after that process of looking for distribution and kind of being underwhelmed with the offers and thinking for yourselves and, you know, saying we could do it ourselves, you know, did you kind of pull the trigger? Like what were the mechanics of basically like saying, we're going to self-distribute this now? Um, you know, like how are we, I guess, yeah. You know, where did the budget come from for lack of better words? Like, you know, where did you start orienting it? Um, you know, and how big, of a team was put together for the self distribution. Um, because I think you touched on it earlier. There's at a filmmaker level, what has kind of upset me a bit over the years and, you know, about self distribution is filmmakers always will express interest when they're not getting the offers that they're liking. But then I think there's fear of committing to the self release because it's, there's this idea that, Oh, now I need to do it all myself. Um, and certainly there will be a lot on the filmmaker, as I know, Dean has taken a, a lot on for this campaign, but it'd be helpful to learn a bit more about kind of just that, that team and that process. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been a monumental amount of work for Dina, for Sean, for myself. And the, basically it, the, the fundraising for this release was, you know, piecemeal. And I think we, 
um, we had to prove certain victories like along the way. And I think that was helpful in not only saying, but like showing our executive producers that we were moving forward with this and that in benchmarks daily, weekly, monthly, like constantly evolving. And reporting every victory. Like when we got, you know, Greg Lemley at uh, Lemley Theaters was the first person to say, yes, I will book your film. You don't need to four wall it. We'll put it in. And we used that, you know, victory and went out to everybody else that we had reached out to. That's a huge distinction because most of the time people need. So you said budget, like it wasn't budget necessarily that actually made the difference. It was, it was doing you know elizabeth taking responsibility to to convince these people and we we had a great pitch that for whatever reasons didn't land on distributors but did land on theater bookers and then did land on audiences those were those were really the two it wasn't so much raising the money or building the giant team we never built a big team we still don't have a big team the biggest differences were elizabeth calling people directly emailing people directly with we have not everyone can do this we had a wonderful that email was incredible you know i don't know how this movie didn't get the deal in the first place it's got a lot of issues what like a lot of stuff that happened before but once it got there that email is is amazing with dina's background with the ep names with the accolades that the film has accrued already and just it's a great movie so when they watch it it lands and elizabeth got yes on those, th- those were the first big, and then the second thing that I think we did was we took responsibility. It was, those were the two big turning points where can we get this into screens and then can we get butts in seats? Th- th- that's really, none of that took budget, you know? That was just strategy and, and, and doing it. And that's where Kyle, you know, like you asked the first question, that's like my background is like physical, in-person, getting people places. Like I use so many tactics from DJing to, get people, you know, I, I've been saying for years, promos about selling 30 tickets at a time. It's not about, you know, making it go viral. It's not about ads and stuff like that. It's selling, you could do the ads and that'll happen, but it's selling 30 tickets at a time. It's the people. It's, it, that's what really builds the groundswell, builds the thing. And those were, so we built a team and yeah, and Elizabeth, like, like you, I want you to, you know, get back on, on track. I just wanted to like, the difference was not money. Yeah. I think this is really important for people to understand. It's not, can we raise, because because you can look at us and you could say, oh, well, you had those fancy people. You had those rich people. Had nothing to do with it. It's awesome that they supported it, which they did. And thank you to them, but had nothing to do with it. Elizabeth sent those emails, you know, with no budget attached and no team attached. And she got yes. And that was the beginning. And then it was approach. It was saying, we are going to be responsible for filling. How many, how many seats are at Angelica? Okay, let's fill them. How are we going to do that? 30 at a time, you know, co-host Q and a talk. Uh, let's add a podcast to that. Let's okay. Uh, social let's do how much ad spend on that. What are we targeting? You know, it's very tactile. It's very, very, very small. Very yeah, and the, the things we spent money on ultimately were um like two people at my team at willow productions marina and sarah who are coordinators and you know helping were amazing were amazing and you know doing tons of outreach running the big shout out to them the grassroots um campaign we decided to hire a pr team because we felt that we couldn't fully take that on on our own but to i think it's really important to note that we did feel like we 
could have, but we just needed, and, and, you know, through our connections, get a decent amount of articles and do cold outreach, but we kind of had to, uh, zero in our focus. Um, digital marketing felt like something that no one on our team had the right expertise on. And it's been, we worked with, um, Dora Dotson at genuine article and it's been like wildly successful and great spending of money. Like Obscured people did our PR. Uh, yeah. Obscure did our PR, but we, when we were at the Angelica and the Lemley, we asked people, how did you find out about the film? And a solid amount of people said that they got an ad on Instagram. So think in future in LA also. Yeah spend more money on that. And as we expand, that's really valuable going to markets that we're not going to be because, you know, we've been in person. Dean and I were at, we're in LA for all, she's still there for all these screenings. That's one thing, but what are we going to do in, you know, we're going to be in Oakland. We're going to be in DC. We're going to be in Dallas. We're going to be in Miami. What are we going to do in these places? So social is really important. So door is becoming even more important starting Friday. Yeah. And then you, you know, have to pay for DCPs and posters, which, you know, that ends up costing like in the six figures, like it's, it's expensive. So that's where hard costs come in. But, um, we, yeah, it was really about this one step at a time, small victories and really bringing those victories back to everyone else that we were waiting to hear back from. And it it built uh, on itself in that way. The amount of raw, raw that, that, you know, if anything, like Elizabeth and I kind of, that's our main role is like hype. Yeah. Is, is communicating between all the parties and, and saying, you know, and just upping it like, Oh, we achieved something. Now we need you to do this. Like, like utilizing all the levers that we have and knowing when to ask who for what and what we need to empower them with. That's and like, people know part. that they're not the first to the party. Like, I think when we reached out to any organization, we would send the list of all the other organizations that had yeah. you know, done ticket giveaways or that had provided a Q&A or, you know, sent a newsletter. And we also really thought, I think, long and hard about That's the you know, how to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that the approach, but um, how do most of like our contemporaries who are not industry people hear about films? And like, it's not really at least most of my friends, they don't read like the reviews in the New York times anymore. Some of them do, but like, that's not how they hear about movies. So we, we really tried to think like, you know, letterboxed, like if I look at how many of my Instagram friends follow letterbox, it's a lot of people. So we sent them an email being like, Hey, we're an independent release. Like, can you help us? And and they were, you know, gave us email blasts for free and posted a clip on the website and kind of just thinking a little less industry and a little more, real world about how people hear about movies a lot of people showed up through letterboxd yeah um and so yeah yeah that's super refreshing uh i mean first of all competing with like not you know with with watching a movie at home or doing something else you know it's getting people this is what i want to do with my evening tonight i want to go to the angelica film center and hang out with these people in a room with four walls and one of them is lit up and doing this this experience together that is you know how you have to approach it we're going to go do a thing together and who is there how are they connected how are they finding out about it what's going to happen in the lobby right after what are they going to talk about when they leave are they going to take a photo are they going to tell people you know yeah i think the element of the of actually the the social part was we realized during the release was very important to people 
that, um, you know, there's a lot of, especially post COVID, like, you know, film women in film organizations or, you know, whatever topic, um, people are really hungry to, to gather and like discuss. And so that became part of the messaging was like, it's come and see the film, but also, and, and I think that's something that I've seen a lot from my, you know, contemporaries who work in the art world, for example, like going to a gallery opening is not only about seeing the art, like it's about talking about the art and, you know, meeting people. And I think we tried to cultivate, yeah, like kind of going to a party, you know, cocktail party vibe (laughs) to the opening weekends at least. And I think that helped a lot because people felt like personally invested and incentivized to tell their friends to show up the next day. Yeah, no, I think that that's, I mean, I think that's a big part of why we love festivals, right? It's the ability to get together in a room, celebrate something we all love, but also at a simpler level, be able to connect and expand on what a movie is. And yeah, I mean, like you, like, I, I think you've touched on so much that we kind of hinted at earlier, which is, you know, partially the team, um, you know, not needing to feel like you have to do it all yourself. There are so many incredible talents out there in the film industry and adjacent film worlds that like are available to work on stuff like this, like door. It's fantastic. The obscure team is fantastic. Big Don's so, like, way at dead. So. Yes. That, that's an important stuff. piece yeah. also of linking because basically we, we, realize that we could freestyle a lot of stuff and like figure a lot out ourselves by reading case studies and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and asking people for <laughs> advice. Um, but we, we felt this real lack of having like someone who knows this landscape and Kate Gondwe, who founded and runs Deadza Films, which is a distributor, but also kind of hybrid consulting company. It came on as a consultant and has been just really helpful in figuring out what we were missing in our like master plan and helping fill those holes, like linking us up with cinemas in X, Y, Z cities that we were missing that are really important or um, like figuring out strategy points. So I think that's like a less overwhelming way to think about how do you partner up with someone who like has the expertise without, you know, giving away all of the ownership and rights to your film because that, that was kind of the, the trade-off um, in, in our previous, uh, yeah, decision place. Do you feel like if there was a distribution offer that came your way that was low MG, but had some passionate distribution strategy behind it, it would have been something you would have considered uh, more readily? Or, you know, was it really just the lack of MG and lack of like overall strategy like, or just lack of complete strategy that basically led to the decision. Um, like if somebody had come to you and said, um, we can't put up that much money up front, but you know, we want to put this in 50 markets and we want to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, is that something that would have then changed your outlook? I mean, I don't want to speak for Dina, but for myself, like a hundred percent, like it was, yeah. <laughs> Because at that point, like there wasn't an a, a MG on the table. And yeah. so if, if we would have had as a third avenue, 
like a partner who was ready to leverage their connections, do the strategy work, you know, not ask us to pay them up front. But honestly, I think it, it could, that could have. That part's a racket. And that's like a low key thing that people don't talk about. I yes. think that's a racket. Those service deals, racket. Yeah, I was going to say that it, that could not all service deals attractive, service. but I I don't think ultimately we would have chosen that route of like, even if someone had a great plan, like paying them to execute yeah. it, I think so we still would have done it ourselves. You're essentially talking about some distributors with essentially like a hidden distribution fee, like they're acquiring your movie, but at the same time, you have to pay them X amount for storage or marketing or whatever else. Is that kind of? what you're hinting at well, it yeah, seems there was... like, yeah it's it, I mean maybe I shouldn't say this because it, it, <laughs> it seems like it's just not discussed that right. there are paid service deals with distributors that have good reputations and filmmakers pay them for their service of theatrical booking and it's kind of a win-win because there's a fee attached and also that film the ownership the, the label a major issue but exactly, but you're still giving away the ownership and the control. Right. Like it's all good if you want to take a fee to, you know, throw your name on it and do very little. It, it adds prestige to, so, you know, Kyle, like I, there was a point for sure, I won't name any particular names, but we would have been really happy with certain companies slapping their name on it and being a phone call away for us and saying, you know, uh, being, being a, showing up to the premiere and, you know, making us look a little better and have, we're going to do everything that we were already going to do, but we get the co-sign of a company that we respect. And we would have, there were, we, we were pitching people on that at one point. Um, yeah. But the ones who were pitching us on the version of that, they want a fee. Their name is not as prestigious. They are not going to open any doors for us and they're going to take ownership oh, of the film. Yeah. Like it's in, it's, it's, and, and we, there, there was, this was a learning curve for us because, because this is not out there, you know, no, no, there's no, uh, you know, there's no film independent case study that talks about this and they do, you know, these are, I, I don't know, whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to get negative, but I do not like that practice. And there are service deals that are back. wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it just goes back to the idea that there's not, really any education around distribution to begin with. Like I went to film school. I didn't take yeah. a single, I didn't take a single distribution class. Part of the reason I ended up in distribution was because day one, a professor asked what everybody wanted to be. And every single person wanted to be a director, you know, and it's like, <laughs> no one, no one, everybody wants to make a movie, but no one thinks before they make a movie, whether, you know, a, anybody else besides that filmmaker is going to care. Let's be honest about it. Um, like, you know, there are a lot of creators out there that don't consider audiences. And some of those people we love and admire. But, you know, if you're also an independent and a young filmmaker and, you know, you're creating stuff without audiences in mind, you need to be aware that that's a major limitation. And the people that are creating stuff without audiences in mind and are being allowed access are more typically people who have the credibility already. Um, if your so, business model is Sundance bidding war and you're not a 
you're not working with a producer who has sold three plus films at Sundance. No. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that you had in your favor for going the self distribution route obviously is a high profile list of executive producers. Um, and yeah, I mean, before getting to that, I, I, you know, I think you were basically in a position where you needed to evaluate the financial potential and also creative potential. So like the quantitative and qualitative of like what it means to sign a service deal versus lesser distribution deal versus what if we just retain these rights ourselves and actually did more than we're thinking anybody else is going to do anyway and actually not need to spend that much to do it. Um, I mean, now the film is done. I've seen about 20K at Angelica and opened to a really competitive 10K gross, I think it was. Um, did about another 10K in LA, which is a city that is incredibly difficult to gross in as an independent film. So, you know, now you have these kind of benchmarks or kind of key performance indicators, as you mentioned earlier. Um, and obviously that's open doors for the film to now expand with AMC and Angelica and all these chains um, further. But, you know, I guess like, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know how that builds back into the EP conversation of it all, but I imagine, you know, obviously those names are part of those email pitches going out to validate the film, um, you know, because it's, Gina, it's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, that, I think that's something that excited me about it and intrigued me. It was like, you know, this certainly seems like it's something that could be heavy um, as far as the film goes, you know, and I think that's, that's where I feel like distributors get scared these days because they look at something on a surface level um, and they say that this is a dramatic independent film and, you know, maybe people aren't going to come out for it because there's so many options at home. And, you know, I think that's where you guys have clearly been smart about what is the brand of the movie? You know, who is Dina and why is her story compelling? Who are these EPs and how do they get involved? And yeah, so like, I guess that bridges back to like, how did they get involved? You know, like obviously Alma, I noticed, you know, uh, supported opening weekend in LA and I was at that Q and A, which was fantastic. Um, like what sort of additional level of involvement you've seen, um, you know, like, would you credit that as, and I think you already have as one of the key drivers of success. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, how, how has that changed, if anything, now that the film's opened? I think it, I mean, it's, it's a huge kind of stamp of approval and it opened a lot of the doors, like, you know, writing the names of four of the most acclaimed filmmakers in the world and the subject line of an email is really helpful. But I think just as a- Also Crystal Moselle. And Crystal Moselle, yeah, um, it was amazing. But I, I think that like just thinking of this as a case study, like whatever your biggest gold star is of your movie, like just strategically we use, like we were like, okay, this is a really helpful tool how are we going to leverage this in the smartest way? And that was, you know, for cinemas, it's putting it in the subject line of the email. Like these bookers get a million emails. So you need to be really short and really clear and put things in bold 
and make like a little PDF that just has like all the executive producers names in red and huge and loads of laurels and just think about it from a very like short attention span like pitch mode kind of a lot of people write long emails and they write prose and p-r-o-s-e and that's a big you know big obstacle yeah like minimum amount of words and only use the useful words so those were you know bold six very very useful words of the names um but yeah, they, they're all uh, mentors and friends of Dina from like different chapters of her life. Spike Lee was her professor at NYU. Spike Jones was her boss at Vice when she was at Vice News. Alma Harrell, I'm not sure how they met, but dear friends and Riz as well. So that's been really super fantastic to have them on the team. Um, so Dina was really the driver for getting all of those names involved. Yes, yeah, 100%. It kind of Dina's really got a, a tremendous network. That's a huge part of like this campaign in general. Dina's a, a charismatic, like I was saying in the beginning, like not every film could do this. Like I could a lot, I, honestly, like literally right now, Kyle, we've talked about this. Like I, I'm like A being films right now because people will call and talk to me about their film. And I can tell you now, like I understand the formula, you know, and not every film could do this. Or they could do a version of it, but it will not land the way that we've landed it. And I know why, you know, we, we know why this has landed. And a, a great deal of it is, uh, most importantly, the film's great. But Dina is, I mean, you can watch her on the on one Four video if you weren't at any of the Q&As. That's online right now on CNN. Um, Dina's charismatic. She's got an incredible story. Like, she, she speaks really well. She's She's young and, and beautiful and cool looking, you know, she's, she's cool. Like she's, she's got, I mean, the, the, the story behind this, I don't want to take, you know, you can go watch, go listen to the Venus podcast, but like the story is incredible. And that is a huge part of what we got to do here. So we have the names and we have, it's, it's like, you could draw them in with the name and then we've got so much meat to this story. It's like the, the whole um, important film thing that has been, you know, misused and overused in our era of representation, like this is an important one. <laughs> it's, it's like, I've said it like over and over again, I feel goofy doing it. Like, I think it's so ridiculous how we use the word important, but actually wait a second, no, this one is important. And Dina, Dina created that. And I think also like Dina reached out to, so she has an amazing network of, you know, people who have their own connections and audiences that really help support the theatrical, but I think for any filmmaker, like the, the movie is the director's baby. And like, there are, I'm sure for all films that might be in the position we were in a lot of people who supported and were rooting for the film along the way and like not forgetting to invite them back in, in this phase, you know, we, there were a lot of people that kind of lifted up this, um, campaign that we just had to remember like who cared about this movie at some point or like felt incentivized to support it or tell their friends about it or you know post on it about their you know post about it on their social media or whatever it might be um and also I this was an earlier question but I just wanted to make sure I said it I think that for the films that you were saying where it's, you know, not audience is not guaranteed and it, the, the path to distribution might not be certain. I think it's a responsibility as independent producers to 
either raise money for a self-release campaign as a part of the production budget or structure it so that whoever your financiers are, are ready to step up to do that if good offers are not on the table, because it's a really bad time to have that conversation, you know, when things just feel dire, but really like preempting it and having a clear plan associated. And I, I think that's part of the education piece that I know Sean and I really, yeah, really passionate about, you know, rallying the conversation among filmmakers of like, this is a legit path that is not embarrassing. And it doesn't mean that you failed and it's really empowering and you can potentially do something cooler than. I think you should do it no matter what, whether you get a deal or not, because uh, there's, there's pretty much, there's a tiny, tiny, tiny group of films per year that, would not benefit from the things that we did. No one is going to shake hands, you know, like Elizabeth and I being at the, at the screens in the theaters, talking to people, no one's going to do that from, you know, like love you, Kyle, but you're not like at every single screening, like for all of your, you know, you have a bunch of films. I know you're a bunch of them. Yeah. It's impossible. You have two films right now doing the circuit it's insane and and you have others you have smaller films coming out at the same time so you'll pick a few but like no matter what like if you get the deal if you win palm door and get the neon deal for 7.5 million dollars or whatever triangle sold for like still do this because this is going to make it's going to make a huge no one's going to care about your film the way that you and your your tiny film family care about it and get so get that deal but also do all this stuff yeah Yeah. well i think it's creative producing and it's a aspect of producing that goes back to the education conversation and the lack of conversation about distribution and you know it's it's easy to say it's easier to say we're just making this movie but you know and then just hope that it premieres at at can or sundance or south by and it sells but the reality is that most movies are going to festivals and not selling for a major amount of money. So, you know, it's, and you need to think carefully about who's buying what these days and, you know, who, who isn't buying, you know, especially as like streamers continue to shake up like HBO right now where, you know, they're currently not buying anything. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you've approached it with the right mindset. And like, I've said this to producers for years where, you know, like if you have those means start raising a little kind of, you know, a back pocket fund for the distribution um, while you're already fundraising the film itself. And obviously easier said than done. It depends on who those producers are, those financers are. Um, But it's something that is going to protect you in the long run and still doesn't mean you're doing it all yourself. It means that you have the ability to hire the publicists or the social manager, um, you know, and all of those also things. Also the are- best part, like it's so wonderful, like being in a theater with people that, you know, we put more effort into connecting them to the movie that they're watching and, and filling the room with people that are connected to each other and then sharing the thing that we made with all of them. Like I, you know, going back, like I, I guess the, the, the 
summary of what I was saying in the beginning is like, I put a film out on virtual festivals and it was miserable. And I, re I, I reset and I was like, I want to build a world to put films into. I don't want to just make art and then tell people, please show my art. Please love my art. I want to build the world to put the art into. So it is so, what, what this campaign has been so beautiful. Like I'm so happy myself, but like that we get to do this for Dina, that she's put seven years of her life into this for Hasna, for the family. It's wonderful. Like, so all this stuff, like, like let's, let's toss out for a second business models and whatever else. Like, why are we here? Why are we alive? Like why, why, you know, it's whatever time of day it is. And like, I'm, I'm awake today. What do I want to do with my day? This is what I want to do. It's wonderful to share with you guys and to go to a theater. So now I'm going to a theater in, in a few minutes, like to go share movies with people who care the most about them and to be able to build. So that, that's kind of how I think about this. It, it, you know, we were saying also like, think for yourself, not do it, you know, not, not DIY, but part of the thinking for yourself is like, how do I want to live? I want to live in movie theaters, at film festivals, with these kinds of people, making things, caring about things, talking about them, understanding how people respond to it. Someone watches the movie. The worst thing that I think happened when I showed my movie at virtual festivals in 2020 that I didn't get to do, that I've since gotten to do, is feedback, is, is hearing from someone how it affected them, what it meant to them, what they understood. That's why I want to make things to communicate, to connect with people deeper. And that's what's so beautiful. So it's such, oh my God, it's incredible that Dina has gotten to do this and, and is continuing to do it more and more. That Dina, I mean, you, like, please, if you're in any city where she is, like, go talk to her. She is like the most effusive, like, just hugs everyone, loves talking to everyone. We stand, like, when we, when we intro the movie and we go into the hallway and we start talking to people who haven't seen the movie yet. We say, hey, what are you doing? Oh, you're seeing Banshees? You should see this other one too. Oh, turn, hey, she actually made it. And she loves talking it. And like- And people show incredible. up. It's amazing. Yeah, they do. They do. There was this woman shared on social uh, today who I recognized her face because she was from the lobby. She was walking out. Dean and I were sitting there. I think Elizabeth, actually, you were on- you The were on Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yes. Yeah. That woman shared and went to the film. I saw, I saw, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay, great. But we yeah, did this, yeah. at, you know, the Angelica Cafe also, like every, yeah. you know, just hanging out for 30 minutes before the screening, telling every person like, hey, you know, we made this film, it's <laughs> showing. And like the ripple effect of that yeah. was nuts. I mean, so many people showed up. They were like, oh yeah, my friend met you in the lobby. And like, we came to see the film. So and if you don't want to do that, that. <laughs> you think that's tedious. If you think that's not, juice is not worth the squeeze do something else, man. Like, you know, if you don't love that, if you don't get off on that, like, I do not have any, I do not know you. I do not know how to connect with you. Like get into finance. Like if that is not the highlight of your life, don't make movies. Sorry. Well, I think, uh, I mean, that brings us like to like a pretty close ending point, I would say where we've talked about how, yeah, it, it's not all on the filmmaker and filmmakers when it comes to self-distribution, but I also see this through line for films with distribution at an independent level too. And often the more, most successful ones 
are the films where a filmmaker is really willing to get behind it and leverage their creativity and connections and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, like at Utopia and our, our, you know, sub label slash consulting label label circle collective. I mean, it's all about trying to just be as aligned and in partnership with filmmakers, because I just don't subscribe to this idea that there's somebody in a marketing department could be me that knows the film better than a filmmaker who's seen their film literally 300 times like we heard Alma and uh Dina talk about how many times yeah yeah like 12 cuts yeah yeah Yeah. you know it's just it's just it it seems counterintuitive to me to you know not keep a filmmaker part of that process to not trust them to know you know the film inside and out to know that they're at a simple level, there might be just a shot that maybe they can suggest for a trailer moment or, you know, uh, themes that mirror shot. They cut that at one point and we had to, I know, I know it's true. Yeah. That was my favorite shot, (laughs) but it's, it's very true. And it's, I think that's where the thinking for yourself piece comes in. Like the the traditional wisdom of distribution is like the, the director's not on the call, like planning the release, which Dina's on all these. Dina's on every call and has, you know, she knows the movie and she knows how to, she's also a producer on the film. Like it's not just kind of this creative force outside of everything else that it means to make a film exist in reality. Providing the publicists with like texture for their pitches. Yeah. Don't leave them out. Yeah. I mean, and that's where I've seen again, you could call it like the brand or whatever behind the movie develop further where there's the film itself, but then there's her story, you know, and I think her background is really compelling. And I think it's what makes the film eventually even more compelling as well, because it, it is a narrative, but it's so, it's done in such a creative way with so many different influences, it seems where, you know, like her background as a journalist is like such a clear influence and, you know, like feeds into yeah. what the movie is and wouldn't be what it is if she wasn't that, um, you know, so I like I think you guys have done a great job and Dina's done a great job of getting her story out there. Um, you know, the PR team has done that, too. And I think, you know, sometimes it just takes time for an independent film to kind of catch up with audiences these days, especially when you're pushing a film out, like at the height of award season. So, um, you know, I think like you've done everything from kind of the PR to the social right, and you've hit these milestones. And, you know, it feels to me like this is one of those new success stories um, in self-distribution where, you know, we've talked about how over recent years, I mean, there are limited comps again, you know, it's the Columbuses and, um, you know, the, a lot of the stuff Jim Cummings has put out, which I know we've talked about. I think we talked about Thunder Road. Um, By the way, those guys, Matt, Ben, Jim have been super helpful to us in general. 
they're and like Caruso also who produced yeah. um, Columbus. We reached out to a lot of people for advice. Daryl Frymark, Bread Factory. Yeah, good, good comp. Sorry, we cut you off. No, I mean, I think we talk a lot about in the film biz, like how like, you know, takes a takes a village you know it takes a community to make a movie but it's the same when it comes to releasing a movie and you know obviously like as a more established distributor like sure we have some resources i'm sure that as a self distribution team you don't have at your disposal but there's also the same mentality that like if we're opening a movie like we want to be hyping it up and rallying our base and like, you know, ensuring that there is, um, you know, kind of like that local grassroots element. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, like we just don't have the ability to be at every single screening we book, like you were saying, Sean, but that's where what we do comes to life. Right. It's like, you know, when we are out there experiencing things together, like you are, touching a physical object like a blu-ray or you know a piece of merchandise like um you're hearing the filmmaker like dina talk about her own experiences and you know contextualize the film further and yeah i mean like i didn't see a single person step out of the q a that i was at and you know i like i saw everybody walking up to dina after the film and it's just something you can't replicate you know um and i think that sort of word of mouth can carry still and we just that's been a really cool thing by the way like that's been every night no one leaves and everyone hangs out after yeah till the cinema closes down yeah oh yeah like, like april shout out april at lamley and I mean, like 10 different people at Angelica. But yeah, like they're being really kind to us. <laughs> We're like making them stay late. And yeah, they're nice to us. <laughs> well, I think it speaks to just everything we've said. It's like, you know, no one's hurting anybody. They're here. They're there celebrating movies. Yeah. And um, an independent movie that needs the support. So I think it's something that should be um supported by these exhibitors and clearly is and yeah i'm i'm rooting for you guys and hoping for another really great expansion so i guess you know before we wrap up um we've hinted at it a little bit with the theatrical um expansion be cool to hear kind of what's next for the movie and then you know um or what, you know, kind of the hopes and dreams are. Yeah, I mean, the next hope is an SVOD deal. We want the film to be watchable by as many people as possible. Um, so we're working on that. And I think like a piece of advice, I think that we realized is we didn't put a lot of thought into like a day and date release, partially because AMC has a mandated theatrical only window and a couple of cinemas do as well. But it kind of feels... That feels a bit outdated. I think if someone's going to go see something in a cinema, they're going to go see it in a cinema. And if they want to watch it at home, they're going to watch it at home. And the issue with being, a, a, you know, independent release is like, there's one big push. There's not going to be. Yeah, it's like we're doing we're gonna try. ads, but it's like. Uh, yeah, we're like doing ads and. The action is like. The, the time is now. So I think in a future, you know, if, if I ever do this again, it would be like 
all the monetization possibilities being circled up with the the advertising push. But yeah, we're hoping. I think eventize use theatrical as the event. It's it's you know eventize theatrical period. The entire theatrical like I was at Quentin Tarantino last night and we were talking. You know the the chains of having like seventy five showings a day. Like that's why you know we don't need that stuff. Eventize like just look at your movie as every single screening is an event. And if, if you're going to show it how many times a day, how many times is it, you know, remarkable to show a day and do that in whatever amount of places you can do that in the, the passive going to the movies thing is, you know, is now is like turning on your Netflix. Like that's just not a thing and use it to uh, smile. You know, I, is going to be so massive on SVOD because of what they've done. Not only did they gain 200, $200 million, but I sat down with Parker, the guy who made Smile the other day, and we talked about all this stuff for endlessly. And the Smile theatrical campaign is not just going to make $200 million, it is going to make their SVOD massive. The, the, the streaming of Smile is going to smash every stream. Like, it's going to be... I, Top Gun is huge, but like same company, the smile streaming is going to be so big because of the theatrical. So think about that. And And I think that's true for you resemble me too. Like that's really the investment and like the return on the investment that we've put in on the theatrical is we can, I think say with a lot of confidence that like the second this movie is available on SVOD, like this whole infrastructure that we've built is going to really rev up around it. And, you know, every person who saw the film will tell all of their friends, will post about it, will, you know, and, and there's there's a whole network of, of support um, there. So, yeah. Well, and it's a broken system and don't, don't just let the reps and whatnot tell you how it works and tell you who to talk to and tell you who you need to pitch and when you need to hear back and blah, blah, blah. If you have a decision maker that you can get to get to that decision maker and don't trust that the system is going to take care of you, you know, submissions and passive, just going through the funnels might work and don't, don't, don't be rebellious. You know, don't, the point is not rebellion. It's, it's thought. And a lot of it is, is in flux right now. And you got to think for yourself. You got to take the initiative. Yeah, that's a great ending sentiment. And <laughs> before we hopped on this call, you said TIY instead yeah. of DIY. So uh, thought, you know, I, yeah, you know, I think the TIY mentality mixed with the DIY is a great way to go about it. And I don't think what we're talking about for filmmakers who might be listening is about just being combative and revolting for the sake of revolting. It's just knowing that there are options and knowing that a lack of the distribution deal isn't the end of the world. A lack of the biggest festival isn't the end of the world. You know, like so many filmmakers are devastated and, you know, when, when they don't get into a Venice or a Sundance or a South by, But, you know, I've seen films come out that have played, you know, maybe smaller regional festivals, but collected awards or, you know, found their audience and still perform really well. And I think a lot of those films that like 
call back like to the doc impacts uh, conversation, you know, a lot of those films could be stuff that hit an environmental audience or like a political audience. Um, and maybe they don't have a big festival behind it, but they know who to hit and they know how to talk about their movie. And, you know, they know how to engage with that base and create those events. And um, yeah, no, I think, again, I've said it, but like what you guys are doing is inspiring. And, um, you know, I think it's, um, you know, and you guys, I mean, you're the comp, if anything, you know, utopia is, is the comp for what we're doing. You're the, you're the step, you know, you're, you're the notch above within, you know, you're the infrastructural version of what we're doing. You're the, you're the system that the thoughtful system, the intentional system of what we're doing. That's why it's a pleasure to have you doing this with us. Yes, it's it. such an honor, Kyle. Thank you. Because Utopia's releases have been a real reference for our total freestyle thing that we've done here. That's a great team. Robert, Danielle, Jess, Teddy, Candice, all of them. They've all been people that I've talked to along this campaign and been really helpful. It means a lot. No, and I'm, you know, we're we're all eagerly watching what's going to happen with the next steps on this movie and just in general with the two of you so and dina as well so yeah you know let's obviously we'll stay in touch and i appreciate you both thinking of me to come in and have this conversation go see you resemble me holy spider and meet me in the bathroom (laughs) yes all in cinemas now Yes, exactly. That's it. Um, Got to get that call to action in before we finish. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, I think we'll wrap it at that. But thank you both so much. Rooting for you and excited to talk more soon. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to Aaron and Maria at Film Roundtable for having us. And, Roundtable. and also you guys in the movie theaters. Yeah, any any listeners, I like forgot we were being recorded, but Sean and I are happy to give advice or you know reach out to us. I think our emails are on the internet somewhere. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, most importantly, I say this: I'm a broken record. If you want to, you know, host a screening or anything like that, talk to us. We are very accessible. You know, DM me, email me, whatever. Resemble me is the handle on socials. And resembleme.com for tickets. Yeah, there's a whole schedule up there with Q&As and everything. It's going all over the country and we'll be in Europe next month too. Cool. All right, guys. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.